Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Eyes and welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. Katrina Ritalik is one of Australia's foremost leading ladies, with an ever-growing list of theatre, film and television credits to her name. Katrina has always been astonishing in the vast array of characters which she has inhabited on our stages. She delivers detailed performances that demonstrate a thorough understanding of style and connect totally with an audience. Her phenomenal credits include Big Fish and Ruthless the Musical. She's given us a heartbreaking trinner in the musical Falsettos, and her riotous turn as brash Oklahoma heiress Jolene Oakes in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels earned her a Sydney Theatre Award. As the high-voltage Alice Beniki in The Addams Family, Katrina received outstanding critical acclaim and a Helpman Award nomination for Best Female Actor in a Supporting Role in a Musical. She was an acerbic Charlotte Malcolm in A Little Night Music, a cool Sarah in Company, and an utterly charming Nellie Forbush in South Pacific, demonstrating precisely what it means to be a leading lady. She's currently gracing our stages as Diane in the brilliant Come From Away, a show that provides the perfect tonic with its joyous celebration of humanity, community and kindness. It's very exciting to welcome to stages the enchanting Katrina Ritalik. Katrina Ritalik, thank you for the coffee. You're welcome. I've, I've never had a guest bring coffee before what? and, and never. free on. Oh, you're welcome. Fantastic. It's a nice way to start the morning, really, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, and it's uh, it's not a day off for you. You're mid-week. That's end, right. End of the week of uh, Come From Away. I am. We are. You've got another um, couple of weeks since... Six no, you weeks. No, through to the end of January, so, yeah, you? end of yeah. January. And then we take off to Canberra. How long have you been doing it now? Mm, since May 2019, so that's a few years now, with lockdowns yes. in between. Because the show came up against the pandemic yeah. several times, didn't it? Yeah. Well, we had our 10 months, basically, in Melbourne, so we did what we were supposed to do in Melbourne, and we were in, right in the middle of a two-week extension, so that we were shut down you know, halfway through that. So we felt like we had achieved what we needed to achieve in Melbourne before that first lockdown. But, uh, yeah, I really felt for shows that were just starting out, you know, didn't even get there, just ready to go and doors were closed. And that, that second wave of, of uh, shutdowns too, you know, shows like mm. Milan Rouge mm. had to sit in the waiting dump. Yeah, for, um... just dormant and merrily we roll along mm. and just... Yeah, tapping there. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was on in Brisbane. And yeah, that's right, yeah. They left the set in the theatre till they could start again. And we all had to stay fit and keep singing. Yeah, so how did you manage that? <laughs> it was tricky. Right. Yeah, 
because the lockdowns are all about the kids, really. Because mm. uh, I am mother to seven-year-old Miller and stepmother to Sam, Maya, and Reuben. So we had three kids in the house pretty much the entire time. Sam lives with his mum mostly. And it was all about feeding them, looking after them, exercising them, schooling them. But, you know, I did have some lunch times where I could get out and go for a run. Singing, not so much. Mother, motherhood, your other major role. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it difficult to balance uh, motherhood and, and, and the theatre? It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a real juggle and you feel guilty and you feel all kinds of things. It's, you know, and my daughter is, when are you going to finish? Come from away, mummy. And, you know, I, at the same time, though, I, I know that she's proud of me. So I still want to be that role model for her and... But, you know, it takes a a real team. I think if you're going to be a parent and be a performer, you need support. Yes. You know, and um, on that, I actually started a Facebook group. It's called Actor, Singer, Dancer, Mother, when my daughter was four months old. Because I had no idea how you could do it. And, you know, I'd seen many women doing it before. And it was mostly the women that I was thinking about. Yeah. And so we now have a forum, which is the most incredibly supportive forum, which is like offers practical help. You can say, oh, I'm in Brisbane for a tour. Does anyone have a spare pram? And someone will come to the door. And it's this beautiful network of mums who are industry mums. I'm very proud of it. That's congratulations. That's what what a brilliant uh, necessity that you've you've created. Yeah. Uh, Because I, I guess there's no things like a crèche that exists. That's right. Work. No, mm-hmm. and there really should be. And we've actually been working with the union over the last few years. Um, Nicholas Hope has been terrific. He's a parent to two boys and on a, with a parents' committee as such, and we've been trying to get a few you know, parent-focused agendas on the table and trying to put them in the PCA and just trying to make it more family-friendly because, yeah, it's a big deal having a kid as a performer. It's It's a really tricky thing so it, it'd be great for it just you know a couple of tweaks here and there to make it more family friendly would be amazing yeah mm. so um during shutdown the show still has to stay in shape as you have to stay in shape is rehearsal continuing online no not exactly we didn't really do that i thought we might but <laughs> no we had a few town hall meetings you know we'd get together it was only a few of them really um a couple of months apart and we just check in with each other Manon um Gunderson Briggs she ran a trivia night because of course there's a whole host of new cast members that have just joined come from away and we hadn't even rehearsed with them and all of a sudden we were saying goodbye to our original company members who we'd worked with for so long and hello to a whole bunch of new people a few from overseas and so we trying to get to know them but no we didn't really rehearse as such we just um we stayed in touch and then we we had two weeks um all up for our re-entry into the world because it's such a tight ensemble uh it was about 12 actors there are 12 on stage so so the rapport between you all is paramount it's really important Mm. yeah yeah and we didn't get much time on the ground with each other so um, we've been, you know, feeling our way. But they're all terrific, you know. They, they were really well rehearsed before that shutdown happened. So they were ready and they 
they joined like it was seamless it, it felt really great straight away that truck it felt like it was driving through this room then yeah <laughs> thankfully it wasn't no, no, no. No, no. so um how many performances have you done of come from way do, yeah. do you count your performances well no i'm pretty loose on that but i think we're around 490 something like that we'll be coming up to a 500 soon wow yeah yeah how do you um maintain maintain the focus maintain the energy with a long run good question this is pretty much my first long run um like I was saying earlier, I was looking over my CV over... It's been 27 years, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and there's quite a, a number of shows that you've... There are a lot of shows. And I think being a Sydney performer, um, especially, you just go from show to show, job to job, and, and chuck in a few you know, TV gigs and a few cabarets. And I wrote a one-woman show with James Miller that um, kind of I went on to cruise ships with. And, you know, you just have to get lots of strings to the bow, really. Yeah. Um, but this is, and I've always wanted a long run, but this is kind of my first one, you know, where I'm looking at years in the same show. And in terms of freshness, I think each night in the wings, you just remind yourself of how important it is and that it's, it's a real life story Mm. and the focus just has to be there. Otherwise it's not, you're not worth, it's not worth being there Mm. on stage. So it's just like a, a must it's essential so I just you know do a little jog and uh, prep myself up we've got a little you know ritual before we go out stage left and stage right has their own little pre-show ritual we have a little little Newfoundland saying and uh, I do a special little thing with Emma Powell and it just focuses us and makes us ready and then you just get on that freight train really and you just ride it because it's as you know you've seen the show yeah it just doesn't stop no, once you're on that train, that's right. You don't get off until it arrives at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just talking about the wonderful Emma Powell. Um, you told me a story off mic before we started about comparing CVs. Yes. And um, yeah, she. Well, you tell the story. Well, she looks at her CV and then looks at mine, and she says, "God, it looks like I've done nothing." But I said to her, "You've done long runs of each of these shows, like." you've put in three years on that show or four years on that show. And she's done the mega shows, you know, like Mamma Mia and Les Mis and Kinky Kinky Boots. Boots And, you know, she's had, and Priscilla, and she's done stellar roles in these shows. And she's been an actress that I've long admired. So, and I've lost a role or two to her. So, yeah. So I'm like, that's Emma Powell. And now she's a buddy and I just love her. She's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. You want that as a, as a performer, don't you? A series of, of long runs, but, but what comes with it is a, an incredible discipline well, that's right. to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a different kind of game and it, it does, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so sometimes you have to take care of yourself in a different way. Um, you can't just thrash your body, thrash your voice. You've just, you, sometimes you've got to take a show off mm. and you've just got to say, um, yeah, I'm not well enough and I need to be in this for the long haul. So yeah, it is a different discipline, but... You know, I think this show is, it's easy to focus because, like I said, you've got no choice really and and you've got no escape. You don't have 20 minutes in your dressing room to, you know, and then have to find your way back in. Um, It's all in, all play. So, yeah, at this stage, even, you know, in our third year, I'm not finding it 
a challenge to focus or, or relish certain moments and because we have new company mo- um, members they bring a new energy and delightful new things and a new interpretation of this or that that it just gives a freshness to the piece you know, I love our old cast members you know so dearly um, but that's life isn't it you, you you work with new people and and that's actually been really invigorating it's been great Theatre folk are incredible like that, aren't they? You sort of have a one-day rehearsal with somebody and it's as if you've known them a lifetime. Well, that's right. You rely on each other and you have to build that reality instantly. Um, So there's a lot of trust that goes into that and a lot of vulnerability as well. So we've just got these big open hearts, I think, and, yeah, you you work collaboratively. That's what I love about theatre, really. Mm. And, Mm. And I have enjoyed the life cycle of a show, you know, the, the birth and the excitement of getting together with new people and working on new material and, and then the life of it and, and then the death of it that you kind of have to say a little goodbye and thank you. A grief. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. those young performers, and, and we were young performers once, yeah, you finish we a show and you think you're never going to see anyone again and that's it and a yeah. part of you has died and uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just terrible. But now, you know, that. Life goes on. And yeah. And you, sometimes you're lucky enough to work with people again. Well, that's right. And it just all adds to that beautiful wealth and the tapestry of life. Yeah. And all of those experiences that you have that teach you as you go along, you know, there's so much learning in every show, yeah. in every creative kind of venture. There's so much learning. And you can feel like an absolute beginner. Mm. Um, and I was a beginner with the Newfoundland accent you know we all were never done that before so there's yeah there's great joy in that it's a, a, a difficult accent ah uh, yeah I guess at first I mean even during the audition process uh, I went to see a dialect coach and um, we he had some material that was you know taken out of those sound archives and it's a mix of Irish and Canadian and American. So, but then you get those regional accents, and you get Claude Elliott saying "hairport," and they're very interesting vowels. And sometimes it's kind of mind-bending. And then you just become used to it. And we had an amazing dialect coach. You know, you've spoken to Simon Maiden, and yeah. um, and he'll tell you about Joel Golders. He's like eh, top of the pops, like really amazing dialect coach, and. He listens to the musicality and the placement and he'll analyse what you're doing down to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so eventually you you get it. It's about programming yourself. Yeah, it? yeah, it really is. And yeah. then it just kind of spills out of your mouth and it becomes inevitable. Do you, do you find with your roles and specifically Come From Away, which you've been doing for quite a while, that sometimes during the day... When you're Katrina, there's a bit of residue of Diane. You find yourselves well, with similar mannerisms <laughs> that you're, you're performing I love with. a Texan accent. I really do. And uh, often, my husband and I, we actually met at university in our 20s when we auditioned for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf together, and we did that show together. Is George a Martha? No, I wasn't Martha. That was Amanda Stevens-Lee, actually. He was George, I was Honey. Right. And we crossed the strings. Mm-hmm. But... Um, he is a very stellar person, and I knew it straight away. Um, and we, he, so he's a performer at heart, and, and he's great with accents. And so we're often throwing accents around 
the house and his 10-year-old son has actually got a really good ear for accents too. So we muck around with all of that kind of stuff all the time. But I often find myself singing little excerpts during the day, little just parts of the show. Yeah, it's just, it's in me. It's just something that I'm living with. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You met the real Diane, didn't you, that, yeah, that you're playing? Yeah, I did. What was that like, to sort of portray a real person who actually probably has been in the audience several times? She has many times, yeah. Um, it was wonderful. Yeah, she's a lovely Texan lady, yeah. And all of these events happened 20 years ago, as we know. Um, but it still feels like yesterday for her, and she and Nick have been married for 20, or going on 20 years. And she's terrific. She's really fun, and... Um, Nick is lovely as well. He's the kind of Englishman who flies, you know, planes, little craft planes. What are they called? Little hobby planes. Planes, yeah. <laughs> Must be a bizarre experience for them. Uh, all of those people from yeah. Newfoundland to have this show yeah. where people are portraying them all around the world. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine really. Yeah. It's, I've never been in that position, but yeah, it would be entirely bizarre. And and it's funny because they quote back to you things that you're saying on stage. Because obviously it's verbatim, it's out of their mouths and that's how they tell their story. Mm. And they've been interviewed countless times now so they've gone on junkets all around the world to these different companies. We come from away opening nights and we met them, I met them by Zoom to start with, with um, when Nathan Carter and I were playing the roles and we Zoomed in with them and um, just had a lovely chat. And, I, you know, I wanted something secret, something that no one else knew. <laughs> Um, and I guess just being with them informs you, even though we were told we were never beholden to play the actual real life version pe- person, but um, it does inform your choices and, and it, it's just been delightful to, to meet them. They came out to Melbourne for the Melbourne opening night, as did, you know, 20 other yeah. people from Gander and other come from aways and so, and funnily enough, it's not the first time I've played a real-life person. I did a show called Dead Man Break in Wollongong for Merigong Theatre. And it was, again, another verbatim tragedy, a story of a, um, the train crash in Waterfall um, a couple of decades ago. And I played a real-life person in that, and she is still alive and living in the Wollongong area, and she came to see the show and... There's a, there's a responsibility there yeah. and it feels like pressure. I remember feeling that pressure um, and, you know, just wanting to do a really good job and, my goodness, she was um, Croatian, I think, and that was a, a really unusual accent. Yeah. Um, but you just want to honour their stories and, yeah, it's, it's unusual but it's a real gift as well and that's another reason why you just need your focus right on because came straight out of these people's mouths you know so you have to be on it such an important story to tell and and such a wonderful celebration of kindness and yeah. humanity yeah and it is sort of the tonic we all need yeah. at the moment come from yeah. away yeah. it feels so simple but it's very complex in its simplicity <laughs> um yeah but at the fundamental level it really just is about human connection mm. Mm. so you grew up in Wagga Wagga mm, I did Yes. Yes. <laughs> How was that? So you're you're a farm girl, aren't you? I was yeah. very much. I was um, obsessed with the land. I was a bit of a romantic kid. 
Well, I was going to say, were you, did you have siblings? Yeah, I have one sister. One sister. Marita. But, but being yeah. on a farm, and was it isolated? It there? was, actually. We didn't have neighbours, and I didn't So have, you're really relying on your imagination very to, much. to amuse yourself. Very much. Yeah. yeah, and I was always jealous of, you know, the town kids, and they'd be riding bikes to their friends' places in the afternoons and hanging out together, and that was not my experience at all. Um, and I actually thought that I, because of my childhood, I was introverted and and not very social and that I was and I had these stories about myself that I would find it difficult to socialize because I was very much in my head and um I was very um connected to the landscape and I would write poems like these great idyllic poems about being on the land and the clear skies and the gum trees and you know and I would go out in the afternoons and I was horse obsessed and you know I wanted to be a rodeo rider and you know a barrel racer a barrel racer (laughs) exactly which is um a women's sport in rodeo rodeo isn't it i think men do it too don't they they? oh right i looked it up i thought what's a barrel racer i I thought did you want to be a clown and sort of uh, take the barrels out but it was actually it's uh riding around the barrels yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. um yes so and then it was kind of it lent itself to my kind of I, I don't know, I was very... I, I just always think of myself as a romantic. So I was into the Anne of Green Gables kinds of narratives and I used to come to school and I'd say, oh, this air is just so sweet, I could bottle it. And I just remember people <laughs> laughing at me. And I wanted a Laura Ashley nightgown and I was obsessed with The Man from Snowy River. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was playing the piano at that time and I'd be playing their theme song and I'd be thinking that I was going to call my firstborn Jessica, and, you know... Jessica's theme. Yeah. 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 And, and then I got to work with her in a little night music and she was one of my idols. And, oh, she oh, was your Desiree when you she were... She was and she Charlotte was Melbourne. so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I have just boundless admiration for her. Did you tell her the story about... Yeah, I did. Oh, great. I great, did. Great. Yeah. Did she run away from you? No. No, I think she's used to it, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I think she's heard it a few times. Well, I mean, mm. people of our age, she was so prominent in uh, All the Rivers Run and uh, Man from Snowy River. Yeah, that's right. All those period dramas, which uh, yeah. I wish, wish we still had. She was just so bewitching. And I loved things like Picnic at Hanging Rock and playing Biddy Bow and just those mysterious kind of... I don't know, there's something in the air that's kind of yeah. mysterious. So, yeah, I, it, it was a kind of an easy thing, <clears throat> excuse me, to go from the land to poetry to music to drama. And I don't know, feel like there was a, a bigger picture. I always felt like there was a bigger picture and there was, there was a great big world out there. So how did you get to express yourself? Did, did you was there a theatre group or a there was, community group that you there were? There was, yeah? and um, I, I I was crazy for it. So it was called the Children's Theatre Workshop, and it was run by a wonderful theatre teacher, theatre maker called Louise Blackett, in Wagga, in this dingy little den of a playhouse underneath the radio station Two GB, next to the little swampy river, and it just was magical to me. And um, my first show was Cabbage Patch Corner and I played a glowworm and a musical glowworm. My grandfather was living with us at the time on our property and I had a beautiful house up on a hill and um, he made me a stained glass lamp to carry as the glowworm. Yeah, and nice. uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was just hooked from a very, very early age. 
Did you learn an instrument as a child? Yeah, so I learned the piano. Um, Probably started around age 10, something like that. You know, I was never a disciplined piano player. I was just always hated practicing, of course, but now I'm trying to get my kids to do it. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I played a lot of piano. And then I went on to the saxophone when I was uh, a little bit older and then the guitar. Because of the saxophone, you can't sing and play at the same time. So, no. no. I then had to go, oh, what else can I play and sing at the same time? So I picked up a guitar. Uh, because the, the uh, obviously the uh, ability to read music has stood you in good stead with the countless yeah. musicals. Sure has. Yeah. I recommend that to every singer. Yeah. Learn an instrument yeah. and learn. Get literate in music. It's really, really helpful. Yeah. And it's fascinating too. And it's just, a, and I even love the Italian, you know, that listesso and <laughs> poco momento. Molti. Yeah. yeah. Forzando. Yeah. yeah. It's just passionate language as well. Uh, what was the first show that you saw? Was it a, a touring show that came through Wagga? Or? No. Um, yeah, there wasn't much available when I was a younger kid, but um, as I grew up, I. I started doing some bigger shows with the School of Arts and I met a a friend, Stephanie, and she and I became obsessed with cats. And I saw the cats at the Theatre Royal in 87. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And I just remember sitting in that auditorium and those lights, the eyes blinking and shining through the dark. And this is the most amazing thing. Cats gets a bit of a bad rap now, but it does. It was the most magical experience. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, you know, we, we talked earlier. I was at Jagged Little Pill last night in the new glorious Theatre oh, Royal. Oh, can't wait. Get um, back there. And I was just sitting there thinking of, of you know, those shows like Cats and Phantom that, and Les Mis. That yeah, had Les Mis. I saw that one long, as well. Long, long runs yeah. there. Yeah. And, um, and how the set design would, would come out into the auditorium and, and really... Yeah. ...be quite an immersive experience for it's the It's a audience. really beautiful space and I've done four of my major shows in that space and I can't wait to get back yes let me mm. guess I, I saw Dirty Rotten Scoundrels mm-hmm. Titanic Titanic South Pacific South Pacific and sometimes Stephen Sondheim Company Company yeah yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. I loved every one of them yeah yeah yeah, and you were so good in every one of them. Thank I must you. say, thank you so Katrina much, no, and thank you so much for those comments about Nellie Forbes. She was my first lead role, and I was very attached to her. She taught me a lot. John Dietrich taught me a lot. Mm. That show taught me a lot. What did it teach you? Ah, oh, truth. I think just connecting to truth yeah. and um, and going from scene to song. And um, it was already kind of in my wheelhouse. That was what I had always done I just felt like it was a natural thing to sing after you've had a chat with someone but to to carry I think the gravity of that story and also to have a character that was so flawed she was not oh, no. she's not terrific with those no, no, no. she's a really deeply well, racist woman yes. and, and, and that she was, wrestles with that she does and yeah. and she finds her way through that and I, that was a really big teaching moment for me yeah. yeah, a lot of people think Rogers and Hammerstein is just fluff and uh, no, and light, it's not at all. You have material. to be carefully taught yeah, to exactly. hate and fear. Has to be drummed into your dear little ear. God, yeah. it's yeah. It's almost that like the, the Shakespearean plays of the musical theatre. Yeah, and the stakes are high, and the characters are impassioned and they're fraught, and that it's set against this incredible backdrop, and and then there are all these great moments of levity as well. So. 
it's a beautifully dynamic show and the orchestrations are incredible. Every night I would hear the overture and I'd be walking uh, along the back of the, 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 the stage and getting ready for my entrance and, oh my gosh, I had to just focus myself because I was just carried away in the lushness of that score and Titanic score as well. So lush. Oh. Jolene Oakes in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, <laughs> yeah. a Texan accent. I love her. She was so fun. She was mad. Yeah. I, I had um, been watching Kristen Chenoweth, I think, uh, in concert a little bit, bit before my audition. And I kind of based my audition on her a little bit. And I kind of imagined she was at a bar and, and drinking shots and she just woof, had one go to her head halfway through this monologue and... I don't know. She just took on a life of her own, and I love that. It was a cameo. It was literally fifteen minutes on stage, but gosh, they were fun. It's a good. And working with Tony Sheldon. Yeah. What a dream. Wonderful. Yeah. Sarah in uh, Company yeah. and uh, Charlotte Malcolm in A Little Light Music. You've done a couple of Sondheim shows. Oh, I know. Would you like to do more Sondheim? Oh, any day of the week, please. Yes. And what roles would you have your eye on? Oh, I'd love to do Into the Woods. Yeah. Definitely. Baker's and wife. Sweeney Todd, yes. Mm. Um, Mrs. Lovett. Yes, thanks. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there are so many incredible shows. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, we've just been talking, obviously, and mourning sometimes passing and acknowledging the genius that he was, is. And uh, we paid tribute to him on stage um, after Come From Away on Wednesday night. We... Um, all of the lights of Broadway were dimmed and we decided to join in. Fantastic. And so we had flyers on our seats and we had, a, you know, his photo and, a, you know, a description of his work. And then on the back of the flyer were comments from some of the cast members. And I got to meet him when he came out for company. And, uh, oh, my gosh, what a highlight. Yeah, and so we, Michael Tyke played um, Send in the Clowns and Gene Wigant read out a, um, a little speech about his work and the impact he's had on the music theatre history. <laughs> the over. And I read a little section from his book, Look, I Made a Hat, and... Gosh, it was moving. Yeah. It was really beautiful. What and a lovely thing to do. It really was. And we didn't do the play out. Um, we just kind of left it at that. And and the audience, they immediately, they just went, oh, yeah, I, I want to be part of this. I, I want to pay tribute to him too. It was really special. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've got sirens. This is... Maybe because I've never recorded this time of the day before. Okay. <laughs> and it's quite busy out there on the, on the streets. It's very vibrant. Very vibrant. Mm. Are you on Instagram? I am. Because there's a new um, page that just started called Sondheim Letters. Oh, yeah? Which I encourage you to, okay, I will. to subscribe to and will. anyone listening. Um, it's the most glorious um, repository of... Letters that he obviously replied to every everyone that ever Wasn't wrote he to him. Generous, um, and people are just sharing those yes. those letters. Sonia Suarez has this fantastic letter that he wrote to her that she shared on Facebook. But yeah, I'll definitely go and have a look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, were your parents happy about you going off to have a career in the arts, or were, were there other mm. occupations that you had in mind? Well, they 
They were, uh, our household was very focused on music and art, so, you know, I can blame them for it really, can't I? Um, we always had music in the house. Mum was um, a really big jazz fan, so we had a lot of Cleo Lane playing, lots of beautiful female vocals, and Dad was a country music fan, so we had a lot of John Denver when it was his turn, and lots of classical music, because my grandfather was a musician, and um, uh, he orchestrated um, a big bands, and he was an immigrant from Latvia, actually, wow. so music is very much part of our family, and um, singing, especially. The Latvians are known for their choirs. Um, but in terms of my career as a, a musical theatre performer, no, no one really saw that coming. I'm, I'm kind of the first to do it professionally, although there's been a lot of music in our family and my nephews and nieces and my cousin's kids, they're all very musical. But um, yeah, I think they sent me off to uni because I was also really interested in writing and in English literature and history and women's studies. I was a very strong feminist from a very young age. Um, so I thought I might look at philosophy for a little bit there, but you know, I wasn't very academic really when it came down to it. And I did a unit of performance studies at Sydney Uni and I just thought, no, I'd rather be on that side of things rather than analysing from this side of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I remember someone at uni saying to me, yeah, you have a different kind of intelligence, don't you? <laughs> I, I thought, um, okay, yeah, maybe I'm not that academic um, and I have uh, other skills. <laughs> um, and uh, you know what, I just always was drawn to the stage. It's just something that makes me feel alive, really, and useful. I suppose it didn't take long for you to find suds Sydney University Dramatic Society. Well, it took me a year. So, right. yeah, I had done my first year. Um, and then in O week of second year, I auditioned for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And um, that's where I met Dan Lloyd, my now husband. Wow. That's 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did that show together. And um, no, I, I did a lot of plays with Suds and we were doing Tennessee Williams and Pinter and Shakespeare and, you know, just diving headfirst well, into all of these great... Yeah, they really to, were. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, it just made me so excited for theatre. So I think it was that little um, stomping ground that sent me off to London um, after I finished my degree. But, yeah, I was kind of just... Um, riding the wave of it all, really, and maybe mum and dad expected me to end up as a teacher, um, but no thanks, I just wanted to keep on performing. Well, you're obviously serious about it, because you went straight to London to the Central School of Speech and Drama. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that course. What... Yeah, it was an interesting course, it was brand new, and I had landed in 1994, end of 94, so to begin kind of October, and then mostly of 95 I was there. Um, gosh, that's a long time ago now, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I had already done four years of Sydney Uni and I didn't. I wanted to, just kind of to do a short course, really, and it was perfect. It was an advanced diploma of creative theatre, which doesn't actually exist in their curriculum now. Right. They've got an MA or an MFA, which I think has replaced that. Um, but it was, it was really interesting. It wasn't exactly what I wanted. I kind of wanted more actor training, but what we got was devising theatre, really. And we were working with new directors and new writers, and, you know, that's kind of fraught. (laughs) you got a brand new writer delivering you something, and 
you know, I've already done so many. You know, I've actually played in West Side Story, Peter, so I know <laughs> a good script when I see one. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was exciting and we worked with all of these professionals. Complicite came Wow. to Central and we did a unit with them based on artworks so they sent us off to the Tate Modern and we ended up devising a, a piece of theatre around Willem de Kooning and I was working with Complicitate they're one of my favourite oh they're extraordinary extraordinary group yeah. all time we often get them here for what well, not often they have been the here for Sydney festivals yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. oh my god I'm blown away every single time the last one Disappearing Number I think was the last oh last I, one the last one I saw of theirs was The Encounter I think um Oh, that's the one set in the Amazon jungle. That's right. Yeah. No, there was, and then there was one after that, which is um, something like um, the the shame of pity, or the it, yeah, that was amazing. It was at the Sydney Theatre. Yep. Um, yeah. Wow. That that is all. As it turns out, it really lit a fire in me, and just to see that kind of transformational theatre, where people. I remember a scene, I think it was in The Street of Crocodiles, where there was a priest who came in to um, chat with this old lady in a little headscarf, and, and he was a priest. He entered in as a priest. He gave her some kind of sermon or teachings or something, and then she shooed him out with a broom, and he turned into a chicken and kind of left that way. And I was just so captivated. I was like, that's magic. Yeah. I want to do that. And as it happened, I ended up working with these people at Central, um, and our piece wasn't great. <laughs> you know, Willem de Kooning, yeah, yeah, abstract expressionism, yes, thanks. But his work didn't really fire much off in me. But um, colleagues of mine, students, um, went on to the Edinburgh Festival to do a Paula Rago-inspired show. So they had some incredible imagery, and their show really worked. And as it happened, my first show out of Central was a cabaret with Richard O'Brien, who wrote the Rocky, Rocky Horror, Horror Show, show. Yeah. and he hired me. I went along to an audition, the Shaftesbury Theatre in the West End, and there were all of these, you know, six-foot hoofers, these incredibly glamorous women, and little old me from Australia, and I sang Cha-Chain, Chain, Chain of Fools <laughs> from The Commitments, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I got the job, and it was just so incredible to work with him he was making a cabaret called Mephistopheles Smith about he was the devil and he was in hell and he was I can't really remember what it was but a whole stack of rock songs and we were his backup frockets and I was in this little pink tutu with Doc Martens and this these little fraggle rock hairstyle and I remember we did a little um, three night spot in London and we had Richard O'Brien fans in the audience already in our costumes they had I don't know how they found out what we were wearing, wow. but they already looked like us. And the whole stack of people at the Edinburgh Festival um, just followed the show. So we had full houses every night. It was so exciting because he's a cult figure. Mm. And I remember I was on this wage all of a sudden of 350 pounds a week. And I was this. we were put up in this incredible apartment in Edinburgh and... I was like, this, this is amazing. Yes, let's do this. You've made it. Last yeah. year you were studying philosophy at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The following yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Did you spend much time in London? 
Um, well, I guess it was two years all up. Um, and I went to Italy for a little spell because I had some time before the course started and I was working in a dress shop and this Italian couple came in and chatted with me. And it turned out they needed an au pair, an English-speaking au pair for their Italian boys. And they flew me over and they picked me up. And now I think back on it and I go, I had no clue who these people were. Yeah. Right? That's right. The, just the trust I had in the world was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And thankfully, I was, I was treated really well. Yeah. And everything went pretty well. But, you know, um, yeah, two years all up in London. Um, but I got pretty homesick. So... I miss the sunshine and, and London was kind of doing me in. Yeah, time mm. to come back. Yeah. Talking about Richard O'Brien, of course, little did you know you would go on to do the Rocky Horror Show. That's right, yeah. So it was the um, the Little Shop of Horror's first gig with David Atkins and then the Rocky Horror oh, Show. That, so, okay, so that that's, that was, was it the Enmore? Enmore Theatre, yeah. Mitchell Patel? Yeah. yeah, that was my first gig here. What did, who did you play? I understudied Audrey, so right. Leonie Page. Yeah. Um, he was just a knockout in that role, and I was so ready to go on, and I never did. Oh, yeah, the yeah. lot of the understudy. I know, mm. I know, but um, and I never got to play her. Um, I love that role. I love that show. Um, but yes, then the new Rocky Horror Show came, and we did Hong Kong and Sydney, and you were Columbia. I was understudy Columbia oh, Janet. So your career starts with a series of understudy roles. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. my stripes. How do you break out of that? Because sometimes producers slot people into those roles yeah. and think, oh, well, she's a good understudy, yeah. we'll, we'll use her in the next show. And yeah. some, some performers are happy to go along with that, and, yeah, and they're good right. at that. Yeah. So how, do you, how did you break out of that? Well, I wasn't terribly good at it. I mean, although I was certainly ready for Audrey in um, Little Shop of Horrors, I wasn't ready to cover the, the three divas. Right. And I think, I think I was on the list as an understudy. So because I hadn't gone through that musical theatre training, there were quite a few things that I was pretty clueless about, really, when I was starting out. Um, so I still have anxiety dreams about that. You're on. You're playing Christine Arnoux's role. Arnoux's role. No, no, I'm not ready. Um, I'll never, ever be so underprepared again, um, obviously. But, um, yeah, so then understudying Janet... Um, I was I was covering Toddy Goldsmith. Yep. And she unfortunately was um, quite ill for a spell in that show. So I got on to do that role for forty five performances straight, and I just felt like I owned it. I was like, well, I love this, and this feels right. Can I not just continue in this? Yeah. And no, the producers had other ideas. So, and I was also covering um, D Smart in Columbia, um, and so. Ali Fowler came in and took over and then I just went back to my understudy plot. But because I I had such a, um, you know, thirst for playing the leads and telling the story, I then went on to do a few one-woman shows and I just wanted to tell the story. So I wrote a, sto- a, a one-woman show called Catching the Light and I did it at the stables and I met um, Alastair Thompson and Lisa Freshwater doing that and... I I suppose I just had a, a series of, of lucky steps. And so there are um, a few shows in between, <laughs> um, a few touring shows, um, straight plays, 
hating Alison Ashley, you know, some TIE. Yep. And I met some dear friends, Kirsty McGregor, my best buddy. We're still so close. We toured together. And, you know, once you've toured with someone, you really know you them, know don't them you? quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, I guess came Greece, where I was playing Frenchies. You know, and I had enough of a, a stake in that show and a featured role, let's say, but I wasn't the lead necessarily. So I felt like I was ready, you know, when South Pacific came along. And I know that it was between me and another actress. And yeah, but John, he sat with it for a while and and thankfully uh, I was given the role and it was magic and I have I owe him a lot. Well, he was also playing Emile de Beck. Yeah, he? and so, so that's right. So the chemistry had to be yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and it was. It felt great. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You talk about um, Alistair Thompson and Lisa Freshwater. Yeah. You went on to co-produce a musical, Ruthless. Ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was such a Tell gift. me about producing a show because, you know, part of the performer's lot is creating your own work mm. as well, isn't it? Yeah. And um, by that time I had already done that. I'd written a one-woman show with James. But, um, oh, look, I think I was a bit of a producer light. I didn't really know very much about producing. Um, so it was mostly Lisa and, and Al. And I just helped out with auditions, you know, and that was a real privilege, actually. I'd never been in an audition process before from that perspective. And I just felt so much for every performer coming in. I wanted to give them the best experience and know that they were supported. Um, I wish everyone had that opportunity. Um, When I was an actor, I I, I had a gig several times as a reader at auditions and yeah. you could see people come in and I've what they that. bring into the yeah. room and uh, it's such a it's privilege a f- privilege yeah, it really is. Yeah. it's amazing that's a, that can teach you a lot but um yeah i didn't have that much to do with the producing side of things and meredith o'reilly was also producing and she's much more savvy when it comes to that kind of thing and i had a big role to learn and i was also very newly pregnant at the time so i was you know quite distracted let's say yeah so I was mostly just actor-singer on that, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved that role. That was such a juicy role. Yeah. Tina, yeah. no, Judy Denmark and um, Tina's mother and Ginger. Ginger, Ginger. The alter ego. Gosh, that was fun. Um, I want to know about the disappointments too because I'm thinking of a show called, like The Adams Family. Hmm. Your role is Alice. Again, you're wonderful. But the show, no sooner had you opened, but I think you got your closing notice. Yeah. And it had happened a few times um, with various shows. You know, um, Titanic was meant to tour and that closed early. And I remember I'd said no to another series of Comedy Inc. at the time to do Titanic. And, oh, my gosh, then that closed and broke my heart. And, it, you know, it's just so tricky to sustain works of art right in Australia it just it really is and props to every producer out there who makes it work but um yeah the Adams family I thought was um was a goer and we didn't really have any clue that it wasn't working so well because the houses were pretty good and you know having that notice um was a real shock and I kind of thought I don't know if I, I can keep doing this it's yeah. just it's it breaks my heart 
Maybe you I invest should. so much uh, yeah. emotional energy, so much physical energy. Well, yeah. Your life changes as you rearrange things to, right. to accommodate this You also have to work. pay the rent. And I was thinking yeah. 14 months I've got mm. uh, on this contract, and that's good. That's going to set me up for this amount of time. I've always been terrible with money, but when I've had a show, that's your feeling of security. And then you just get the rug pulled out from underneath you, and it happens a lot. And I think, you know, I was... Oh, 40, 39, something like that, 40. And I was just thinking, all right, no, I've got to grow up here and this is not going to sustain me and how do I actually find security? And and I think, oh, God, I should have listened to my parents. (laughs) No, it it, it does come that time in every performer's life. I think I was approaching 40 at the same time and started to question, do I want to to continue with this uh, unknown unknown path yeah um, yeah there are so many unknowns you come to that that bridge and you mm. you have to work out what you're going to do and i've done a couple of workshops with with young students and um they've said what's your piece of advice and i've said put your money away yeah just save 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 because i i think i was really reckless and um yeah i think if you've got some kind of nest egg some kind of security an apartment you're going to be okay but it's pretty scary if you're approaching 40 and you've got nothing Mm. Mm. so is that when you start to paint oh yeah painting (laughs) now that's going to pay the bills isn't it (laughs) 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 but i was very impressed you went out took yourself off to kofa and got another degree i did i got a master's Master's. so maybe i do have that kind of intelligence yes (laughs) you are (laughs) academic no well it's mostly about coursework and that one as well had you been painting all through your life i mean yeah your mum yes always artistic um just i mean in terms of making things really um but i was very i was a drawer i used to draw a lot as a kid and i was obsessed with pastels um and i remember in mary poppins you know when dick van dyke oh, yes. makes those pastels on the pavement yeah. it was like yeah that's that's magic and so i hope you never tried to jump through them did you no right. no i never did thankfully um but i i was always into drawing and into portrait drawing so i was drawing portraits around age 15 16 and and, you know, I'd get the covers of the National Geographics and not always the covers, covers, but lots of photos, the beautiful portraits of people from around the world. And I'd be, I was just really obsessed with drawing faces. It was just really my thing. And, um, and I let it go for a little bit and, you know, focused on all of this. And, and then I, gosh, what on earth prompted me? I think my dad even suggested it. He said, why don't you... And explore your art a bit more and I, I thought god can I do that and I, I thought yeah okay I can and I went off to Kofa and did a, a master of fine arts yeah it was amazing and so that's when I picked up a paintbrush I hadn't really painted before around 2013 2012 did you put the career on hold while you went and studied for that no, period of time I was or doing, you, were doing, you were juggling things I was juggling things yeah I was still working. I was still in shows somehow. <laughs> you do it. You do it. I must have had some time off um, because it was great. I was this mature age student and we were going into the campus in Paddington and they also had a campus above the Woolworths building in the city. And Kofa is the, the College of Fine Arts. That's right, yeah. yeah part of Uni of New South Wales and yeah. I think it's been renamed now. Um, and that was really incredible. So... 
yeah, I did figure painting. So it's something that I've always wanted to do. And just even to learn the basics of how to mix colors and, and yeah, it was beautiful. So I've just kept painting and that was a lockdown kind of, um, treat for me. I started painting these really small landscapes, like 10 by eight on board. And I'd get Eckersley's to deliver them to the door and then I would just have a couple of hours between homeschooling and dinner time and I'd just kind of get a little bit obsessed with light and with clouds and yeah. the seascapes and because we've been living by the sea and I'd be taking photos and printing them and then, then painting them and yeah it, it's it's really great and then all of a sudden I'd go for a big canvas and just feel like yeah let's get expressionistic and so oh my gosh I just reflecting on all of this, Peter. I, I feel very, very, very fortunate. It's been a very rich life. Yeah. Have there been, been many downs along the way? Oh, yeah. As we all, all yeah. do, I guess. Yeah. But, um, and it is a, it's a precarious industry, isn't it? There, there oh, are really tremendous is. highs, yeah. but um. Well, there have been part-time jobs, you know, seller masters mm, for one, mm. and you know, drank a lot of wine. A lot of great people, really great people that are still friends today. And Have there been periods where you thought, oh, am I ever going to work again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Yeah. I remember just, will I ever hear that five-minute call ever again? I remember I was cast in Sunset Boulevard that got cancelled. And then there was a kind of a that long... That was at the Sydney Theatre That's right. Yeah. And there was a long stretch between that being cancelled and me finding another job. And I just, I was in a bit of a woeful state then, I remember. And then, you know, you pick yourself up and you'd go make a show or you'd just do some cabaret or just keep singing. But, yeah, I think I was very lonely for a while because it's hard to kind of have a relationship as well when you're touring. And and then I thought, okay, I'm never going to have my own family because I'm 35, 36, 37... No, no, no babies here for me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this. I'm just gonna devote my life to this. But then, when this falls apart, then you feel like there really is nothing, and that yeah. you don't have a family. And then, yeah, existential crisis upon crisis, and yeah, that that can be pretty, pretty low. Those kinds of times. And do, do you always thought that you'd want to be a mother? I'm not in my twenties, not at no, all. No. Just when the, the, the expiry date yeah, is about. Yeah, that's right, exactly. When I was about 34, right. I thought, oh, God, I really want to be a mum. Yeah. Wow, how's that going to happen? And it just wasn't because I wasn't with anyone who wanted a family and um, had to actually end a relationship because he didn't want to be a father. And then I was like, oh, God, this is actually a, a deal breaker. And, and that's not great, coming into a new relationship going, so do you want to have a baby with me? Um, you know, and the way things turned out, you know, it was never something that I saw would happen for my life, but my God, it did. And I had a baby when I was 42 years old. Wow. Yeah. She's the light of my life. She's amazing. She's seven. She's incredible. That's glorious. I know. And we have a step family blended mixed group of humans all trying to work it out together and you know that's another huge thing it's been tough it's been bumpy but god it's amazing you but, were 42 she's now seven you've yeah. just given your age away oh i'm about to turn 50 peter and what's that like yeah uh you know it's a bit confronting but i'm so grateful i look i'm, I'm still working yeah and i'm doing one of the most beautiful shows i could imagine and when when i think about 
what has really inspired me in the past, like Complicite, mm. come from a way is like the closest mm. musical theatre version you could get of that, mm-hmm. of collaboration, of a bare set, of transformational actors playing multiple characters just with high stakes. And like I look back at that and I go, oh, wow, that's exactly where I want to be. And so, yeah, I'm incredibly grateful. And 50, yeah, okay, it's a big number. But um, everyone's healthy, everyone's well. And I lost our beautiful Dale Jewell when he was 23 years old. And right. I will not be ashamed of my age. No. I am lucky enough to not, you know, to still be here. And Aging is a privilege it denied is a, to, a privilege. to many. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I really feel that's true. And when people say, oh, you're turning 21, love you, 21. I just go, no, 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 I'm 50. And that's okay. It's, it's, I'm not ashamed Oh, look at me over talking it, overthinking it. So I am a bit confronted by it. I know, no, right? Look, it's great. It, you know, you um, you lose tolerance for idiots, and um, you become much wiser. And well, and then I think it's great. And the roles have grown with me. So, and I find I've got more maturity. I've got more perspective. I've got some deeper insights into things. And yeah, I think all of that is very valuable. And I've got a beautiful husband and a beautiful family, and I'm very lucky. In this brave new world of um, pandemics, post-pandemics, theatre has had to to shift a little bit, and you were part of a a, a very interesting experiment, Who's Your Bag Daddy, or How I Started the Iraq War, where this was a, a musical which played out online. Yeah. How exciting was that? It was. Yeah. It was just all new. Like, really? We can do a musical in separate rooms mm. and be connected with headphones and monitors? and. So you, you all rehearsed in separate locations? Not all the oh. time, actually. No, we did get together at the Paddington Town Hall and we had um, a couple of weeks of rehearsal in a room where we were, you know, distanced. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of Zoom rehearsal. Um, Stephen Kramer, fabulous MD, and um, we worked with Neil Gooding. He was in New York, actually, so it actually worked quite well for him to be zooming in and and directing us. Um, My God, it was a real experiment, and, yeah, it was incredible. I have to confess, I've not actually seen it. Right. Yeah. um, I think part of the reason why I love being on theatre is that you don't have to look at yourself. Yeah. You don't look back at yourself. Yeah. And um, I was just really thrilled that people loved it, and it was like a, a different kind of offering at the time and people wanted to see some entertainment some something new and yeah incredible cast we had a great time yeah it was a really wild thing well that's a show focus so inventive aren't they and when denied the opportunity to perform live everything was moved online and and done you know really quite interestingly for 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 that that period but now that theaters are opening again um I think we're happy to get back and have that that live communal. I think so. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. Are you superstitious in the theatre? Look, I try not to be, but I don't generally like changing my routine. Right. Yeah. And at soundcheck, I always have to say the same line, and I get a little bit. I get the heebie-jeebies if I haven't said it out loud. Yeah. It's like one of my first lines. So, in some ways, yes. And I often feel um, a little bit guilty. For the surrounding players that I kind of engage in my rituals because 
I think, oh, no, do they feel a responsibility to always be looking at me at this moment? Or, um, you know, there have been a few mechs and techs and musos that I kind of connect with um, in various places, in different shows, not just talking about Come From Away, but um, that I always do because, like, the traffic's always the same. But um, So I guess in some ways, yes, but I try not to be, you know, just stay in the moment and I don't think there's a grand plan for anyone. It's just, um, you know, make your own way. Describe for me that, that minute, 30 seconds, 10 seconds before the show starts. Okay. So we have our little ritual, our Newfoundland saying with our little stage left team. And then I've got my beautiful guitarist, Tim Hartwig. He's not my guitarist. He's the show's guitarist. And we do a little thing where we do this kind of power fist and we go, um, and then Emma Powell and I do a little meditation. And I actually visualize the schoolroom of Gander. And from the research that we did at the time of rehearsing the show, we had a lot of doco footage that we could look through. So I always focus myself in that space. We take some deep breaths and then we kind of send it out. Then we turn to face the stage and we've got some prompt lights. It's on orange. And then as soon as it hits green, the boran starts playing and we march out together from the different wings and we're on welcome to the rock that's right yeah 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 yeah. and then um so doug hansel's to my left and philip rose um, lowe's to my right and we kind of clock each other and then we begin yeah wow yeah so you can conclude your sydney season i think january 28 30th i think we're finishing now yeah yeah. great and Mm. then you open at the canberra theater center on february 3rd next year yeah it so. takes them a couple of days to get that set down there. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I know, so well, fast. It's 12 chairs, isn't it? Oh, it's a lot of trees. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a beautiful set. It's, it it's, is. It's because you are looking at it all night. Yeah. And you, There's not much get, else to look at, is there? No you, no, you don't get bored for a minute. Isn't that amazing? And the lighting design is exquisite. And what do you think about those two trees just standing there at the back? They're great. Mm. And it's, it's an airplane cabin at one point. Yeah for the animals yeah 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 um, yeah it's so versatile because it's just an empty space basically such an exciting show i hope um everybody goes and sees it i know a lot of people have i keep running into people saying it's yeah. just good one of the best nights in the theater they've had for yeah. a long time it's a gift it's a gift to play katrina Ritalik, it's so nice to sit down and have this hour with you and see you in the flesh other than words with friends yeah oh yes you smash me usually on that scrabble game oh, look you're very busy at home with children and, <laughs> yeah. and painting and, yeah. and, and preparing dinner so yeah um, i'm a terrible cook so i'd rather be doing painting than making a dinner mm. trying my best thanks for the chat a happy birthday for for nine days time thank you Let's hope that it's a long, varied, exciting theatre career that continues. Yeah, thanks, Peter. It's been really fun. Katrina is one of the finest exponents of the musical theatre form. Her extensive repertoire demonstrates terrific range of style and character, and she is totally charming, as you've heard in this conversation. You can catch Katrina on stage in Sydney at the Capitol Theatre until January 30, 2022. A season at the Canberra Theatre Centre follows, playing February 3rd to 27. It's an amazing show. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be reassured by your faith in human nature. And you can see the wonderful Katrina Ritalik, our guest today on Stages. 
Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Eyes. Keep well, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>